Live right here on 104. Now the horn. Top of the charts Tuesday. That's when Patrick, the idealionaire, he takes jams that reach the top of the Billboard charts on this day in history. And usually uh, we get a chance to go back in time a little bit because uh, top of the charts Tuesday. My favorite musically themed day of the week. Not only broadens our horizons, but also uh, kind of takes us back in the, uh, the time machine a little bit. You can feel the decade. And uh, yeah, this is us. I, I don't think I actually... Don't like listen to this song, but this is actually one of the most recognizable tunes. That it's a pretty recognizable it, new wave song. Yeah, it's like a really recognizable. And what's the name of the band? The Human League. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, not know that. Is that a one hit wonder? We talking about? No, I think they've had a. I they've think had they had a, a few. Okay. Yeah, like people's uh, is this is. Yeah, this is a weird one, man. I, people, I don't know why you would like this song, but and I'm not, I'm not hating on it. But like I said, it's just very memorable. It stands out. It, this is, this is in the early '80s when the synth movement kind of came okay, out, and then there was a lot is. of synth stuff that kind of went into new wave and, right. and all that. Okay, good. There you go. All right, not really my thing, but to, to hey, whatever floats your boat. All right, that's what it's about. That's what <laughs> Top of the Charts Tuesday is all about, man. Uh, thanks, my man Patrick, working hard for us. Um, there are a couple of stories that we want to get to. We want to hear some um, sound from CDC, the uh, athletic director at Texas. He went on with Bobby Burton on Inside Texas. Really good piece. Go check it out. It's like a 45-minute interview, so we won't play all of that. We'll play some of the snippets from it, some of the highlights from it, but it was really good. Go check it out for yourself over there at Inside Texas. So we'll get into that. Also, um, the All-Star Game is tonight, so we'll yep, get the yep. hardest prediction on who's going to win the All-Star Game tonight. Uh, some folks want to hear about the fans that. Are, the Ron, fans are, The fans are going to win. <laughs> um, so we'll uh, get into that a little bit later on, too. And also, we didn't really talk about it yet. We talked about Pat Fitzgerald being you know, ousted there at uh, Northwestern because of the hazing scandal and the president you know, pretty much revisiting the suspension. And after revisiting, he decided he was going to part ways with Pat Fitzgerald, the head coach who had been there for was it 17 years, mm-hmm. I believe, over the details from the hazing scandal, which, by the way, are sh- extremely disturbing. And they're, they're, they're troubling, to say the least. Yeah. I mean, it's some, some sick stuff going on in the hazing. So, uh, but now there's discussions about who is going to be the next head coach. At Northwestern, and a lot of them are hitting close to home at Texas. Right. One of the names is Paul Christ, who is the latest, uh, you know, assistant, uh, special assistant to be hired by Texas, and uh, his name is coming up a ton, Harge, uh, for that vacancy. Also, uh, and this comes from another source, comes from Andy Staples. He wrote that the Big Twelve would have several candidates who would be uh, possible. Uh, replacements for Pat Fitzgerald. He thought he thought Dave Aranda's name or Chris Kleiman's name yeah. uh, would come up. He also brought up Lance Leopold. So he brought up three Big Twelve coaches. Yeah, that could possibly end up replacing him. And that's in addition to the report about uh, Paul Chris. So it might end up affecting Texas one way or another. Butterfly effect through the uh, Northwestern vacancy. Not only possibly losing someone from the staff, but also losing a coach uh, who you're opposing in the Big 12. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of names that could be out there, and this whole situation kind of puts you in a different type of spot, right? So this is something that's unexpected, and it's coming close to the season being ready to start. So how, how are you going to implement a new coaching staff all the way around? And here's the other part. If you're going to keep somebody and put an interim in there, which they might Aren't do. they part 
of the problem too. Ding, 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 ding. Right. So yeah. you're trying to figure out how you're going to maneuver, especially into this season. And I heard Jeff Howe talk about this earlier, and this is something that you and I talked about, you, me and Patrick, yesterday. They've been terrible. They've been bad. They have been very, very bad here in a very short period of time. And it goes back to that whole culture situation. It seems like that culture had been fading for quite some time now because you don't go from a team that is competing to play in the Big uh, Big Ten championship games mm-hmm. to now just looking awful every single week. Yeah. And obviously the culture there has become toxic, or at least has been toxic for a while. But now you have whistleblowers who are coming out about the toxicity uh, there. Uh, One texter said the reason people like that song, uh, Patrick, (laughs) cocaine is the real real reason people like that song. Cocaine was a hell of a drug and fueled a lot of weird things. Cocaine is the reason people like a lot of things. (laughs) Yeah, that's why the 80s are full of these weird movie plots, like weird science and and mannequin. Yeah, (laughs) mannequin. That one right there. I I guarantee the reason why you like most of your songs is probably drug related too, or why your songs are our favorite. Why people like music festivals? There's That's a lot true. of drugs related to music. A lot. Well, uh, people like to uh, be inspired in a higher, uh, you know, kind of state of being. Right. Yes. There you go. No doubt about it. All right. Let's get to uh, a man who has lifted Texas sports to a higher state. Uh, it is CDC. He went on with Bobby Burton of Inside Texas. Uh, they had a very interesting interview. I encourage you to go check it out. We got some snippets from it. The first is uh, CDC talking about Texas, uh, the goal specific for uh, Texas this year in Texas football here at CDC. I think one of the things you looked at is uh, we just finished, uh, uh, just completed our head coach's retreat uh, last week. We got together, as we do every year, to set review the year, and set the timetable for this coming year. And we know this is our last year in the Big 12, and we're doing everything we can to focus our attention this year because all the hoopla of where we're going is great, but that's in 24. So one of the things we talk about is embracing the hate. <laughs> we know we know the, the, the reality for us this last year. We have 20 teams that compete. We won 12 conference championships last year. The year before, we won 13. Our goal is to win a conference championship in every sport that we participate in and win a national championship in every sport we participate. That's always going to be the goal here. So when we won 13 last year and 12 this year in terms of conference championships, our goal is to win 20 for 20. You know, and, and is it realistic? It's always realistic at the, at the University of Texas, but that's our goal. And knowing, too, for our coaches or student athletes, the environments they're going to be going into this year. It's our last year in the Big 12, and they've been great partners for us. We want to, to, to exit in a classy way at the same time to, the, to participate at the highest level. So we went to our retreat. It was talking about those concepts I just discussed and what do we need to do. And at the same time, making sure that our, our student-athletes and coaches know that we have to inv- embrace what is taking place at their, at their campuses and make sure we go in there and compete like heck and try to win a conference championship. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Hey. There you go. Uh, CDC talking about the goals overall for the uh, athletic programs at Texas. Uh, he also talked about the arms race uh, as it relates to facilities on the 40 acres. Um, I like what he said here. Here is CDC talking about the upgrades for facilities. From a standpoint of that, is we're always looking to have, see how what we can do to improve our uh, of our athletic uh, of our facilities, our footprint for recruiting for our fan experience. So right now what we have on deck is a new football practice facility, knowing where we practice up top. But it also goes back to President Hartzell, who is really an unsung hero in, 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 at the university. 
what an incredible president we have. He gets athletics, always asks us how we harness athletics and what we need to do. But creating a practice facility with indoor practice fields and underground parking for our student athletes and then on game days we use for our donors, creating that synergy, right, this is going to be critical for us. We have expansions that are going on in, in baseball. We have stuff that we're going to do in softball. Everything has a plan. This year we're doing the lights and, uh, and some things in DKR. If there's not a crane on campus or if there's not things moved in the athletic department, we're dying. And one of the things that when, when they hired me is we realized we had not invested in our physical plant for a long, long time. And, and we need to continue to invest in our physical plant. So we're building a new recruiting lounge in football right now. will be done at the, end of, uh, uh, at the end of the year. So things are constantly happening. Our donors have been fantastic. They've been receptive to what we're trying to do. And hopefully uh, they feel that their investment is worthwhile. Okay. One of my favorite lines that CDC just delivered, gentlemen. If it's not a crane on campus, we're dying. Right. That is a great line. There's yeah. not a crane on campus, we're dying. Kudos, CDC. That's that, cool. is, that is pretty much That's like good. we busy over here. <laughs> right? We should be yeah. we should be building something should be being built around here. Yep. All right. On the 40 acres. I don't know what the hell it is, but we should have a crane somewhere building something. We should be upgrading something. Kind of goes to the old Tom Herman line about facilities where he said, uh, you know, uh, keeping up with the arms race of facilities in college sports is kind of like painting a Golden Gate Bridge, right? By the time you get done painting the Golden Gate Bridge, it's time to start repainting again. Yeah, you got to paint it again. It's, right? yeah. And the same thing with facilities. By the time you're like, all right, I think we upgraded every facility on the 40 acres. Well, go back to the one you started with because it's probably time to upgrade right. them again. So I, I I love that. If it's not a crane on campus, we're dying. We're dying. Damn good there, man. Uh, he was also. And he asked, said it's so easy. Too. He did. He yeah, did. He, he, he knew he was gonna say that. Yeah, that was a good line. Yeah. You know, hey, hey, when you deliver a great line, you gotta deliver hey, it in a way. That's like one that. of it may be in the donor speech. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yep. Exactly. He delivered like he's delivered it before. Yes. Yep. <laughs> you gotta have a crane on campus, gentlemen. No doubt. Uh, that's good. That's good there. I like that. Okay, so uh, also he was asked about nil. Speaking of arms races, <laughs> facilities is one way to win the arms race, but nil right now is the key arms race in college sports the new law of the land here's cdc talking about texas sports in nil you know the things about it and i think i've had many discussions with you bobby along the way i'm not a big fan of nil in this regard they're trying to right now um do away with one trillion dollars in student loan debt when i graduated college i owed fifty eight thousand dollars college is a is, is a privilege not a right it's a privilege to go. You earn that right. And I knew what I was getting into when I took out those student loans to help supplement my track scholarship. And you know what? I paid them off. It took me 17 years. But I knew what I was getting into. For asking for forgiveness on student loans, I just don't quite get that when we know what we're doing. You know, K through 12 is a right. College is a privilege. And we give more scholarships away for free than any other uh, entity in the country outside the GI Bill. And they're trying to do away with that and talk about name, image, and likeness and say, hey, here comes the money. When forever we've been asking donors and fans to support scholarships for young people to get an education to change their life. But once they pass the rule of NIL, I said, guys, we got to get in that game. It is critical for the University of Texas that we are in the NIL space, not only for competition, but for giving our students the opportunity to come to Texas, get a degree from Texas, yet change their life by the connections they make. So when companies and individuals are investing in, 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 in Bijan, Bijan has a chance now to come in, transform name image like it's on campus, and yet tell the next person, when you come to Texas, what starts your change of the world really happens. 
So if we want to win, we want to be as competitive as we ever need to be on all platforms. NIL is critically important to us. And I get it. And we're now changing our landscape within the athletic department to help fundraise for NIL. Um, but at some point in time, we're going to have to have some intervention of what looks place because everything that's happened across the part, it, um, now they have agents. We're going down a slope that just is foreign to me from how I understood college athletics to be. But if it's going to be under the current rules that we're in today, um, it's a must if we want to win. Yeah, so he's basically saying I don't really like the NIL, uh, the current framework of the, the NIL structure, but I know that in order for a Texas to be successful, they have to be one of the leaders in this area. And what did you industry. say? Some of the people from uh, the Texas One Fund, they want to be the NIL leaders. Yeah, they do. They yeah. want to be the capital of, the basic NIL capital of college sports. Yeah, is no what Texas wants to be. And by the way, right now they are. Shannon Terry who works over in on three, one of the founders on three said yep. no collectives are more aggressive during this recruiting cycle than Texas Longhorns. This is 100% the right move. So he's talking about open door says Texas has the uh, most NIL compensation of any uh, college sports program in the country. And they, yep. s- they study it. They're probably one of the leading authorities on the NIL transactions all across the country and all the different collectives across the country. So they say Texas is leading the way, but it's it's a race, and it the is race is far race. from over. So, yeah, Texas can be overtaken or fall behind at any time, and they got to make sure that does not happen. Okay, the last cut here we're going to play in this segment, then we'll get to Rod's round of the day. Uh, we can play some more of these cuts a little bit later on. Um, but this is about uh, the Rodney Terry hire, and I, I'm glad that Bobby brought this up. He wanted uh, CDC to go in detail about the Rodney Terry hire, literally how he came to that conclusion, what was the thought process, and when the breakdown. Here is uh, CDC talking about the uh, Rodney Terry hire and what went into it? Well, and I think you look at uh, Rodney, when Rodney left here at Fresno State, he actually, his resume at Fresno State did a really, really good job in a program that was really fractured. So we knew he had the pedigree to, to, to do that, took that team to a tournament, went to UTEP, and then chose to come back to the University of and did a nice job at UTEP. When this team was constructed and the team was put forth, and, and you know what, let uh, um, me back up, but we hired Coach Beard. I mean, that was... Um, I looked across the board of all of our coaches and uh, I was like, God, here we go. We have a chance now to really set the table moving forward. And it's just unfortunate. I feel bad for Coach Beard, feel bad for Randy, everyone involved. But we made the decision, the right decision for the University of Texas. And at that point in time, I remember meeting with our team and watching our team just, they were grown men in the room. A lot of those kids were 23, 24 years old. The COVID kids, portal kids had come through. So they, they understood. And they stood up man to man and said, we got you. And watching Rodney under the most adverse situations possible, I handed him the, 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 the whistle and I said, Rodney, go earn this job. Nothing will be given to you. Go earn it. That night against Rice, I was like, ooh, pretty shaky. <laughs> I was like, God bless America. This is crazy. But watching every single step of the way, how the team responded, how he coached, how he communicated, I knew right then and there, if given the opportunity at this place, he could do something special. And a lot of times you go, boy, he had a run. She's just, just a magical run. You got to do it. And I agree with that to a certain extent. He had a magical run. But watching how the team rallied around him. And you could think through, uh, uh, through the kids that came back, the kids he attracted to the portal, the kids that are around the team and who recruited. We knew that we had a chance and the, and the coaching staff put forth uh, um, for us. And um, 
he deserved that opportunity. He earned that opportunity to, to leave this program. And the more and more I thought about it, I kept on thinking, okay, whoever else we bring in today, whoever else you look at, what could they have done during this time? Anything different. And he learned from Coach Barnes for years. He was a Longhorn. Uh, he is a Longhorn. This opportunity with Coach Beard and what he did, he came back for a reason, left a head coaching job, him and Augie, to come here. Um, and they put it together in a situation where I said, you know what? Uh, 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 it's a little bit like uh, uh, the movie Nemo. He goes, hey, let's squirt. Let him swim a little bit. Let's see what he can do. And he earned that right. It's awesome. Yeah, there you go. So he's basically saying he, you know, he thought it through. He even yeah. thought about bringing in other people. Could they have done as good a job or a better job than Rodney Terry? Came to the conclusion that Rodney Terry did the best possible job someone could do under those circumstances. Said he was built for this, right? That's yeah. what Rodney had learned and and earned that spot. So good for him to to take his time as as he always does. Mm-hmm. Let things play out, not jump to conclusions, and not jump on. Uh, the situation and say, let's go right now. Let's do it. Like everybody else was saying, when are you going to make the announcement? He's earned this. Well, there's a process to it, as we talked about before, mm-hmm. and that's what CDC does. Yeah. No, I, I, I loved how frank and honest he was in that interview. We, there's some other cuts. If we have time today in the show, we can get into them or we can just uh, play them later on this week. But I'd encourage you to go over to Inside Texas and go check out the Bobby Burton interview with CDC. It's really good. And um, he, like I said, it's about 45 minutes. He gets into a lot of different stuff. And you know, CDC, he is, uh, he likes to elaborate. Yeah, he lets you know. He can be, uh, what's, yeah. what's the term, loquacious? Is that what it is? Like, he can go on for a little while, and he goes on into a lot of detail about stuff. So I thought it was really good. I listened to the whole thing earlier today. All right, Rod's rant of the day. We're going to switch it up. We're going to go to some NFL discussion here coming up in Rod's rant of the day because there is a beef going on like between uh, two of the uh, young uh, DBs in the NFL, actually two of the best DBs in the NFL, but they're also two, two youngsters in the NFL. And they they got some Twitter beef going on over an article that came out <laughs> from Jeremy Fowler ranking the best cornerbacks <laughs> in the NFL uh, based on that ranking and what was put out there. They started going at one another. So we will discuss the beef happening and we'll discuss that ranking as well and discuss some uh, NFL cornerbacks. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie. Wonderful down the horn. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. So Jeremy Fowler, ESPN reporter, is um, coming out with a piece where he's actually in the process of revealing a piece that ranks all the different players in the NFL by positions based on the opinions of different anonymous executives, players, scouts, and coaches. So he takes an anonymous survey of current executives, players, scouts, and coaches, and then ask them, like, hey, who are, you know, the best players at certain positions? And he's been going through this, you know, all week long. And they just started, they're on the defensive side of the ball, so they haven't even really gotten to the offense just yet. So they're, in, they're on cornerbacks today. And already kind of started up a bit of a, no, no, an S storm, if you will, an ish storm, if you will. <laughs> because apparently <clears throat> Asante Samuel and, uh, uh, and, and Sauce Gardner they got into it over this ranking. So the way it started, from what I can gather, 
Asante Samuel's the one who really kind of started this thing um, because he pointed out, or at least his opinion, was that after seeing the list, he quote tweeted and said, the New York media will take your career to another level. Now, just to give you the list, Patrick Sertain, the second is number one. These are cornerbacks listed by anonymous Execs, players, scouts, and coaches. Patrick Sertain, the second, is number one. Sauce Gardner, number two. Jalen Ramsey, number three. Uh, Jair Alexander for the Packers, number four. Uh, Darius Slay of the Eagles, number five. Ravens, Marlon Humphrey, number six. Saints, Marshawn Lattimore, seven. Trevon Diggs of the Cowboys, eight. Denzel Ward of the Browns, nine. A.J. Terrell of the Falcons, ten. And honorable mentions were Xavier Howard of the Dolphins, J.C. Horn of the Panthers, Tariq Woolen of the Seahawks, Tredavious White of the Bills, and Legarius Sneed of uh, the Chiefs. Those guys that actually got the honorable mentions. And they mentioned some other guys that got votes, but I'm not going through the entire list for you. So, uh, If I was an honorable mention, I'd be mad. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Um, That's where I'll be real hot. So I'm assuming Asante Samuel's mad because he may be among the eight others that received a vote. <laughs> yeah. But he was not one of the the top names on this list. So maybe he was a little upset about that. So he tweeted, he quote tweeted, New York media will take your career to another level. And I guess, you know, on the list, if you're in New York, you got to be thinking to yourself, whoa. Because he, he, could, he could really start, you know, criticizing anybody on the list. But there's only one guy on this list who plays ball in New York. Right. And that's Sauce. So everybody else, it couldn't be just the New York <laughs> exactly. media that's out there voting he, for He him. said the New York, and then he went and said it's the New York media. What did Revis do so special? I'll wait. Come. Dot, dot, dot. I know. Don't give me stuff. That's oh a whole nother <laughs> segment right there. Like, you disrespecting Darrell Revis? I'm like, what? A when, Hall of Famer? Why is he catching strays? Exactly. Right? What are you talking about? Dude's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's documented. Want great cornerbacks did uh in the in the stats i don't know i think he kind of mistyped that or whatever and then sauce gardner gets in on it sauce gardner says um the tweet he said basically um the tweet literally says those were the cornerbacks rankings by players execs scouts and coaches dot 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 i'm trying to figure out why you keep bringing up new york media said that to asante samuel like quote tweeting, yeah. um, and then him and they go back a little bit. He says, just like the Pro Bowl votes, this is Sante Samuel, just like the Pro Bowl votes used to be, yes, you have the best media behind you. I challenge you to turn some of those pass breakups to interceptions this year. You will hear, you will hear from me. Is what Asante Samuel okay. said. Okay. I get it. Did. Sauce Gardner says, and I challenge myself to do the same thing along with my coaches. I don't need you challenging me to do nothing after all this subtweeting you've been doing <laughs> when you could have just hit me privately like all the other OGs do. Safety, bro. Um, <laughs> and he also went on to say, damn, you've been on my ish hella lately. You got to relax. Me personally, I've never been the hating type. So. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is interesting, too, because I went and looked at the list, and these are some of the things that you and I have talked about. <laughs> when you start looking at some of the other guys that got votes that aren't on the, the honorable mention, Stephon Gilmore, James Bradbury, I think is a good cornerback. J.C. Jackson, I think is a good cornerback. Yeah. Uh, Tretavius Ward, Traverius Ward, excuse me. I think he's a good cornerback. Tredavious? Yeah. Tredavious. Tre- Traverius. Traverius. Traverius, Traverius okay. from the 49ers. Yeah, okay. 
I think he's a good defensive back, but he's he's not even on this list. Yeah. No, so, it's, it's, I mean, you can ranked, move it, yeah. He's ranked by executives, players, scouts, and coaches. So, yeah. I mean, he's got some respectability. Everybody no can't doubt. be on a list to be the best cornerbacks. If you ain't one of the best, you just ain't one of the best. And you can get butthurt about that, but like I said, the list is the list. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is what it is. And you can and, intertwine them any way you want to because yeah. there are some players and, that are better. If I'm Trayvon Diggs, I'm like, why am I eight? Um, you know what I'm saying? You could argue maybe get, be a little higher, but I think right yeah. now Patrick Sertain the second and Sauce Garden. I think Sauce Garden is on a different level. You're talking about yes. the first rookie to be all first team all pro as a cornerback since Ronnie Lott did it in 1981. And I'm the one who usually says, you know, shut down corners are dead in the modern era of the pacing pace and space spread era of football. Mm-hmm. But I'll admit. I mean, he may be the closest thing we got to shut down corner. And I'm going to say this. The youngsters, are they are bringing it back. They are bringing back, like, great cornerback play. And it talking died, trash, too. It died for a while. Yep. They're scoring, scoring and everything is down in the NFL. Only 12 teams this year had a positive scoring differential in 2022. Uh, that's the fewest in the 32-team era and the fewest since 1994 when the uh, salary cap started and they had you know 28 teams. Yep. And if you go look at it, the um, basically this is the – this is one of the lowest scoring eras we've had in a long time. So scoring actually has dipped down, which is not something the NFL likes. Teams are actually scoring around 22 points per game. I think it's around 21.9 points per game, uh, which means you know scoring is actually starting to dip a little bit. And the NFL doesn't like that. And I think one of the reasons it's dipping is a lot of different uh, factors that play a role in that. I think the cornerback play specifically the cornerback play and safety play too. I would just say defensive backs overall. I think it actually is getting better. Yep. It, it's experienced a huge upswing. Go look at a look at this list and look how many young defensive backs are on this. This is talking about guys in their, you know, third or fourth year in the league. I mean, they're still in on, on their rookie contract. You're talking about Patrick Sertain the second, Sauce Gardner, AJ Terrell, Trevon Diggs, Legarius Sneed, JC Horn. All these guys are on Tariq Woolen. I mean, yep. he was a rookie. Yep. These guys are on rookie deals, and these guys are making all pro teams as rookie or second year cornerbacks. I do believe we are watching football Doranism. I think this is kind of football Doranism where it's survival of the fittest. You're watching kind of the evolutionary adaptations happening. We, we've watched for the last decade plus the offenses at the highest levels of football, college and pro evolve to become almost lethal in their usage of cheat codes and force multipliers. RPOs, mobile quarterbacks, play-action pass, up-tempo offenses, pace and space, the quick game, the uh, the hybrid spread schemes, the air raid, zone read, read option, you throw it out there, whatever it is, there have been so many different concepts that can be seen as advantages or advantageous for offenses, and very few of those Force multipliers or cheat codes schematically, conceptually, have we seen flourish on the defensive side of the ball? All right, we've seen like the three high, three down defense may be the biggest defensive conceptual leap we've seen in the last 10 years. That's one thing. Offense, we talk about something new every other year, a new concept that's becoming popular and giving offenses an advantage. And I do think since, you know, this has been something that's been the case over, you've had now multiple generations of football players, defenders who've grown up in this era. Right, they've grown up in a disadvantaged, basically disadvantaged era, yeah. where the, all the rules, the rules too, are against defenders. 
All the rules are against the defenders, and now all the schemes are adding up against defenders. So in this kind of this football laboratory, all right, look at this experiment in football Darwinism, uh, survival of the fittest. This evolutionary adaptation has led to defensive backs, this new crop, this new era, new generation of DBs. They're not necessarily shocked and they're not necessarily exploited as easily by these RPO concepts, the play action pass concepts and all these cheat codes that I bring up. All right. So when the defenders, when they first had to defend all of these cheat codes that I bring up, they were in darkness. These guys, they they grew up in this darkness yeah. of, of de- defense, right? This, that's the new era where defense is in the dark. They have no advantages, and we yeah. expect defense to lose. The rules are against the defense. All the concepts that I brought up, they're all against the defense. So at one point, the defense has to adapt. It has to shift. And I do think you've gotten to the point now where all these defenders, they have been almost, uh, like I said, evolved, almost especially evolved to a really – a uh, fine-tuned uh, to a fine-tuned in a fine-tuned way where they are able now to be almost spread babies where they have innate in an innate way they have this built-in uh almost instinct to defend spread concepts that now we talk about and we like to isolate but for them that's just football right like that's what they grew up with like for me, I'm like, man, how could I play against an RPO, you know, play action pass based offense, space and pace, quick game with a mobile quarterback? All those disadvantages have now actually led to them being more finely tuned defenders. Right. So while everybody else is thinking about how many advantages the defense has had, I think now over time it has swung back in favor of the defense because you have now defenders like Patrick Sertain Jr., Patrick the II, excuse me, yeah. Tariq Woolen, Sauce Gardner, J.C. Horn, hell, even Deron Bland. This guy was a fifth-round pick for the Cowboys. Ended up getting, what, five interceptions? Yes. Jalen Petrie is going to end up being a, a Pro Bowl, All-Pro for, uh, for the Texans. And this guy was a rookie last year playing at an extremely high level. Hufanga, the uh, safety for the 49ers, was an All-Pro yep. as, what, his second year in the league. You had five. He's almost ro- like Troy Palomalu. He is yeah. like a reincarnation yeah. of it. You had five rookies with four or more interceptions. Hell, the Kansas City Chiefs played in a Super Bowl, starting four rookie DBs. Mm-hmm. Like who the hell does that these days? Trent McDuffie. Unless these D- DBs are highly evolved for being as young as they are, because they grew up in this, this kind of pace in space spread era, which usually would be a shock to the system for anybody else. But for these guys, they're used to it. I, I bring this up all the time. It's a scene from uh, The Dark Knight when Bane is beating up on Batman and tells Batman, basically, who Batman is a guy who always, he, he uses the darkness to his advantage. Like these offenses, they want to keep these defenses in the dark about all the cheat codes and force multipliers going on. And usually darkness is their friend. It's their ally. Uh, not <laughs> it, well, with this generation and not with Bane either. Darkness is your ally. You merely adopted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. By then, it was nothing to me but blinding. That's what I like about these young DBs, man. They got no fear. Like, 
I grew up in a, a day and age where fear essentially well, I was programmed by it as a with a de, as a defensive back. These young guy defensive backs are not programmed with fear. Like I said, they grew up in this the dark ages of defense. And now coming out of the dark ages of defense, you have some of the best young defensive backs the NFL has seen in decades. Decades. We've never seen a group of DBs this good this early. Like all of them, right. come, they come right out. They come right out of the draft, ready to roll. Well, they've been also been playing seven on seven for exactly. so long too. They're, they're used to they're used to the passing game a lot quicker than most people are. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly. Um, someone says, "Come on, ride in my day." We had the T, the I. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. This is a new era of football. This is why these and back then, I, maybe you had defensive linemen and linebackers who were advanced coming out early because they faced so many mm-hmm. run-oriented formations, so many power schemes. Now it's the opposite. They're facing so many spread schemes and passing schemes in college that when they come to the NFL, which is now a pass-happy league, they're they're unafraid. Right. They're unaffected by all the cheat codes being used. As a matter of fact, their highly developed instincts and highly developed traits and skills have been refined through the pace and space and spread era of college. Shout out to Mike Leach and the air raid offense and everything else. So I think I I, I do think, and I, I've been saying, Lee, you got to give me a better young crop of DBs that's entered the league in the last twenty years. You won't find it. Yeah, it's gonna you, you won't it's find gonna it. be very rare. You won't find it. Yeah. No, that's how these guys are really really. Like I said, Tariq Woolen. The guy's a freak for Seattle. Started as a, a rookie, ended up with, what, six interceptions? Yeah, he ended was. Ended up being a, a second-team All-Pro? Yeah. What's that time we had From a, UTSA, by the way. Exactly. What's that we had a first-team All-Pro and a second-team All-Pro that were rookies at cornerback? Yeah. I don't remember the last time. I don't think there is a time. <laughs> I, don't I don't think, think there it, is I don't think it happens. Yeah, exactly. Those guys are legit. So, anyway, well, uh, that's my uh, take on the uh, the young crop of DBs. They're talking trash to each other, uh, but they've been talking a lot of trash to the TV wideouts out there, teaching them lessons about this new group of generation mm-hmm. of DBs. All right, we come back. We'll get into a little off the record on the other side right here on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful night the Don't lie right here on 1049 The Horn. It is a top of the charts Tuesday. That's when the idillionaire Patrick Davis uh, takes jams that reach the top of the Billboard charts on this day in history. Uh, that's the purpose of a top of the charts Tuesday. Uh, all right, a little off the record stuff here. So apparently, uh, Larsa Pippen, she's uh, commenting on MJ's comments <laughs> about her relationship with Michael Jordan's son, Marcus. Jordan. Marcus. Marcus, darling. <laughs> uh, Scotty Pippins. Uh, so apparently she was on um, basically, uh, basically, she and I believe Mark, she talked about Marcus Jordan on the Separation Anxiety podcast. And on that podcast, um, basically, she claims that MJ and the family um, have been dishonest with her about how they feel about the relationship. Because remember, MJ was asked in public uh, by TMZ, I believe, how he felt about the relationship with Marcus, his son, and Larsa Pippen. And apparently, 
he he was not in favor of it. And uh, she said, uh, I don't think that I don't think it was funny. There's nothing funny about it. I was kind of embarrassed. Um, and uh, Larsa explained that most of her issues were, uh, came from uh, the previous conversations she's had with Marcus and his family. She said that she had been insured over and over again that there were no problems amongst the Jordans about their relationship. And it all uh, led to her ultimately telling media members that Michael was OK with everything. She says, I was like traumatized. I'm like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? People think I lied. So she's saying that MJ is telling the media one thing about how he feels about the relationship and telling her something else. So who are we to believe, Larsa Pippen or MJ? MJ said he didn't approve of the relationship. She says MJ told me, or at least him and the family said to me, they did approve. Who me, are we to believe? Let me, let, me, let me just say this. And for Larsa Pippen Larsa. To, to, to understand Michael Jordan don't give a doggone about you, girl. He was asked the question, do you approve of a woman who you have partied with, been around, actually has been to your crib? Your crib. And now all of a sudden she's going to think that Mike's going to feel some, some type of way about it? Your dog all right, he don't like it. You are a tramp. <laughs> You've been around with everybody in the league. <laughs> and now you want to have feelings about it? I thought Mike was going to be okay with it. Why would you think this man would be okay with she it? She says Mike told her this, or she she hinted that Mike has communicated that he's okay with it. Yeah, Mike Mike probably said, yeah, man, I'm glad y'all doing Scotty wrong because Scotty's still talking about me. But the simple fact of the matter is, you have been with Michael Jordan, and now you, I mean, around Michael. Don't don't forget what I'm saying. Maybe you have to. And maybe Michael <laughs> told Marcus. Yeah, you might want to <laughs> holler at that. But you sit here and you put yourself in this, in this view, and everything's all fi- fine and dandy. But just because Mike don't like you, your life's supposed to stop? Well, Mike she, don't like a lot of people. That's true. But I think her, she's saying that if, why would he tell her that it's all right? If he wasn't, well, well, let also, me ask you: Would it change? Would she stop seeing him? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, 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 first of all, he may have said it was okay to for y'all to go on a date, being like, "Look, y'all get this out of your system." And now you're talking about marriage. And he's like, "Yeah, no, I didn't mean that." Right? I mean that nonsense. Oh, like them getting like she's joking that she's gonna be Larsa Pippen Jordan. He doesn't yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, they're going too far now. Also, I, I really don't want to hear how she's traumatized that someone does not approve of that while she's sleeping with her ex husband's son. Teammate's son. Like, you're like, yeah, what do you think, Scotty? Do you think he maybe is traumatized? Yeah. You think maybe you're you're causing more trauma than you're getting put on you, and then you still have to be the victim? You have to do the wrong thing and be the victim at the same time? Exactly. Come on, man. I'll, yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I think this thing is real, though. Remember I told you guys this last week? I said, it's, it's real. I, I thought it was a bit, and I thought they were, you know, well, let's getting it on, friends with benefits, right, that kind of thing. Bro, they you know? were doing hookahs out of uh, the tops. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and he motorboated her yeah. in public. And we talked <sighs> about motorboating somebody in public. You got to have a that's, a that's a that's true intimacy right there, <laughs> man. Like, I mean, you don't get to motorboat women in public like that. That's wild. Yeah. And he did it on her birthday. Yep. And I got to tell you, I think this is real, guys. Unfortunately, I think we may have to worry about Larsa Pippen Jordan. Uh, I promise yeah. you. I mean, you know what they have in common? Bo- all of their money and fame comes off a Hall of Fame basketball player. That's what they have in common. There's good absolutely nothing that they have contributed to society to make themselves famous. 
they've just been on reality shows and stuff like that. It's go have fun. Just stop. Stop paying attention to people. Let them go in the distance. And the minute you stop paying attention to them, then they will start crying and then they'll do something really crazy. And then we'll get to see them again. That's true. Because this ain't about money because Larson gets money from Pippen. And, all day. And Marcus definitely has a trust fund from Papa. Yeah. Because dad's a big And he's walking around in Jordans all day just rubbing Jaws, it in Scotty's face. Just free Jordan. Just Jordans yeah. all over the place. <laughs> just, you know, just th- giving Jordans away to homeless people, all kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and then, of course, uh, she's a, she's on Miami, like Real Housewives of Miami as a you know Real Housewife reality TV star. I'm assuming on the new season we're going to see Marcus Jordan. I'm assuming. And I guarantee you both of them. To Patrick's point, because they don't really have any talent other than their connection to greatness, they might be thinking about getting married and having their own reality TV show because they oh would definitely goodness. get it. They would get it. You know they would get it. Oh my She's goodness. already halfway there, and then you got Michael Jordan's son. Dude, they would definitely do that. There's a show that is, I, I think I forgot which one it was. There's a show that is built on just family-like relations to, like, Different stars. Oh, they're, they're, and they're, I forgot the name. The Jonas. Of it. Yeah, it's basically yeah, yeah. it's basically about are you a are you Claim related? Fame, right? Are you related? Yes, are you related yeah. to a celebrity? That's basically yeah. what it is. Claim are you like the fame, niece or a nephew or a cousin yeah. of Tom Hanks or whatever? And people are on the show just because of that. That's the whole purpose of they, them being on the show. They're getting paid. They are getting paid. They're getting paid. They are getting paid. Yeah. Uh, so my point my point is I this is I'm Black Shoot prediction. They they will either get married or get engaged. They will get engaged first. And then they'll get a reality TV show together. It's real, guys. Uh, the show will be called Bulls Fans Hate Us. Yes. <laughs> It'll be disgusting, but America loves the disgusting. Sometimes we're attracted to it. We, we got it. a Hall of Fame connection. That's what it's going to be. That's going to be the uh, name of the show. Can we bring in the – Oh, yeah. Hall of Fame Connects. <laughs> it's going to be – and then Phil Jackson's going to be like their, their marriage counselor. And, <laughs> Zenning. Oh, man. I'm yeah. telling you, that's where it's going, guys. I know y'all don't like it, but I'm telling you, it's going to happen. All right, we come back. Uh, Six o'clock hour is also about to happen. We'll get back into uh, some of the uh, the biggest stories of the day. Uh, we'll also get back to uh, some NBA discussion. We got some Texas football discussion we're going to get into as well. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104.9 The Horn.